with the McCaw family, obviously they were supportive, but conservative. You know, we go in and we say, hey, we, you know, we want to replace a lift. It's like, Tom, really, do we need another lift? <laughs> I think with Altera, it's going to be just the opposite. I mean, they're more of a ski operating company. I think they really understand the impact of all the infrastructure improvements that we've had. In reality, it'll accelerate the process. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Hello again, Idaho. First thing, if you could visit stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter, I would greatly appreciate it. And so, frankly, will you. The podcast you see is just a small part of the storm. The podcast is also just a small part of the podcast. There is an article on stormskiing.com that accompanies this and every podcast episode that provides massive context on our conversation, including maps, charts, historical tidbits, and analysis of what makes Schweitzer special. In addition to the articles that come along with each podcast, I am breaking down the world of lift serve skiing with a minimum of 100 articles in the Storm Skiing newsletter every single year, and you will get them all delivered straight to your inbox when you subscribe. Stop getting your ski news from Facebook. Get it from the Storm Skiing newsletter instead. You can also follow the Storm on Twitter, Instagram, or threads at Storm Ski Journal. Before we get to Schweitzer, a quick word from my sponsor, Aspenware. Imagine a future where 99% of your mountain products are booked online. Aspenware is the leading e-commerce solution purpose-built for the ski industry. They create customized e-commerce platforms that ensure resort guests spend more time doing what they love and less time standing in lines. Utilizing the team's extensive industry experience, Aspenware strives to make the resort booking process seamless with a mobile-friendly, simplified sales process that anticipates the needs of the guests at every part of their journey. Based in Denver, Colorado, Aspenware stands apart as an innovator, they understand the value that software and technology bring to a mountain resort, and they strive to create solutions so good they seem invisible. Visit Aspenware.com to learn more. Episode 151, Tom Chassie, President and CEO of Schweitzer Mountain, Idaho. In 2018, Schweitzer Mountain launched a multi-year master plan with the aim to quote, transform the resort from a regional ski resort to the top four-season resort in the Pacific Northwest, end quote. The plan would modernize the lift fleet, expand terrain, and become a more sustainable, tech-savvy operation with more on-mountain lodging options for guests and more housing for employees. Schweitzer moved quickly on its plans, tearing out the Snow Ghost Riblet Double in 2019 and replacing it with a brand new high-speed quad and a fixed-grip triple chair, an on-mountain boutique hotel and wellness spa, and employee housing developments in Sandpoint and Pondere followed in successive years. And this summer, Schweitzer removed the musical chair's double and replaced it with a longer high-speed quad called Creekside, which will open this season and next year anchor a new 1,400 vehicle parking lot, and in future years, a new day lodge and skier services center, up to four more new lifts, and a terrain expansion. 
but the biggest transformation to Hitchweitzer in the past 25 years didn't happen on the mountain. In June, Altera Mountain Company, owner of the Icon Pass and 16 other ski areas across North America, announced that it was purchasing Schweitzer from its longtime owners, the McCaw family. What does that mean for the mountain's future and for its expansive master plan? Let's find out. My guest today has been president and CEO of Schweitzer Mountain, Idaho for 17 years. With 2,900 acres of terrain served by 10 lifts on a 2,400-foot vertical drop, Schweitzer is the largest ski area in Idaho. The mountain averages 300 inches of snow per winter. Prior to joining the team at Schweitzer in 2006, he spent 14 years at Atitash, New Hampshire. Tom Chassie is my guest. Tom, welcome back to the storm. Always good to visit with you. How are you doing on this October Monday? Outstanding. Uh, we got snow in the forecast. Uh, I got my firewood in. Looking forward to a big winter. Love it. Well, you've already had a big summer and your team has been really busy putting in this new Creekside Express quad. And this replaces that musical chairs double that came out of your parking lot forever. Break this down, project down for us, Tom. Why was it time for a lift upgrade and how will this new lift be different from the old one? Well, a couple of things come into play. Uh, obviously, it was an older lift. Uh, it's one of our last riblets. It serviced not only our beginner terrain, but it also was an option for folks that parked in some of our satellite lots to hop on that lift to come up. Uh, servicing beginners, uh, even though it had a you know capacity to handle 1,200 skiers an hour, you know with beginners down there, stops and starts, we probably were getting seven to 800 skiers per hour out of there. Mm-hmm. Probably our biggest challenge from a capacity standpoint, you know, you get down there on Saturday morning, it could be 45 minute wait for that particular mm. lift, you know, so it would seem like a no brainer to upgrade that. So we decided to put in a high speed quad. It's a Palma mm-hmm. uh, capacity on that's about 2400 an hour. Being a high speed quad, obviously, for those beginners, we think will reduce the number of uh, misloads. Obviously, easy to load, unload. It's going to be a great addition for us. So this lift for folks who are familiar with Schweitzer, it's actually not on the same line, right? Tell us about the new line and why this lift doesn't follow the old musical chairs lift line. Well, there's a couple of things here. Uh, we've broken ground on a new base area, Schweitzer Creek Village, mm-hmm. and it's on the east end of the drainage at the bottom of that lift. So in order to actually accommodate the lift, we had to build a bridge across the drainage as well. So it's a little bit longer lift ride, but it's the first phase of us starting to build out the Creekside Village, the new base area. The alignment's a little bit different. It shifts a little bit to the north, the unloading area, and just to relieve some of the congestion in the Schweitzer Village. As far as the load goes, folks who are accustomed to parking and walking right to musical chairs in that old lot are going to have a little different experience. How are they going to access the new lift? Well, actually, they can park in that lower lot, uh, put their skis on, and now they'll be able to ski downhill to load the new lift. Uh, we won't be parking in the new lot this winter, but we'll be skiing out of there. So you get to start your day with a little ski down, which is always nice for a warm-up. You said it was a little bit longer chair, Tom, but I would imagine it's a lot faster ride. How much faster are we talking about here? Well, like I mentioned before, the old lift capacity is about 1,200 skiers an hour. This one here is at uh, 2,400. You know, we'll likely run that lift, I'm going to guess, probably 700, you know, versus its capacity. You know, we could run it at 850. It could be a little bit challenging to load at that speed. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we'll work it out throughout the winter season. So how has the installation process been so far? This is uh, 
one of your lower elevation lifts or your lowest elevation lift. So it doesn't have maybe some of the challenges you would have gotten in the high alpine. But how has the installation gone? Any hiccups? No, it's been spectacular. <laughs> we actually had our load test last week. You know, we've been running the lift just to put some hours on it right now. We got a small punch list to work through, but uh, we pretty much wrapped it up. So you said the new lot won't be open for skiers to park in this winter, but tell us about that new lot, how big it's going to be, and how that's going to change the overall arrival experience at Schweitzer. Yeah, just the location of the new lot. We'll have a new access road. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with Schweitzer, there's a roundabout. It's about two miles below the village area, so there'll be a new road coming in off the roundabout that'll take you to the new lot. You know, one of the biggest advantages down there, obviously, we have a tremendous amount of capacity. It's about a 10-acre lot. It'll be able to accommodate 1,400 cars. <laughs> right now, that's about equal to the number of cars we can park today on all of our lots. So it's going to be a great addition. Uh, in addition to that, the new lot will be at the same elevation as the new day lodge. And you'll be able to ski a little bit downhill to get to the new lift. Now, typically, if you're in one of our satellite lots, you're humping uphill. So this is mm -hmm. going to be a great, <laughs> great uh, option for our day skiers. So that's a pretty big lot. How are you going to move folks around the lot if they park in the far corners? Are you going to have a shuttle service that takes folks up to the lift or is it just hike in? Yeah, we'll run it. We'll run a shuttle throughout there. You know, in the next three or five years, we'll build a day lodge in there. And, you know, we anticipate that that new village area, we call it Creekside Village. Mm -hmm. That'll be the new arrival area for all of our day skiers. You know, our plan is to cut a couple of more trails out of that base area, to take you up towards the chair five saddle. Uh, next summer. So the following year, you'll be able to ski back into that lot without having to come to the village. Nice. And when that new lot opens, the lot that's by musical chairs right now, is that slated for redevelopment or is that still going to be a parking lot? Have you not gotten that far yet? What's your thinking on that higher lot right now the skiers use? The higher lot, you know, there's been a vision there for years with the Macaw family as well is to uh, potentially build a hotel on that site. You know, when the Macaws are involved, that was part of our motivation to move some of the, the parking down below so that we could clear that lot out for future development. I mean, how much do you anticipate this new lot just improving the overall experience of that busy day arrival at Schweitzer? Because right now you have that higher lot, you have all these satellite lots and what will it mean to just have a nice big lot with a high-speed chair going out of it? You know, from a consumer standpoint, it's going to be spectacular. I mean, right now, if you show up on a Saturday morning at, I'd say, around, you know, 8.15, you get to the main lot, it's full. You work your way down to the gateway lot, that's full. You work your way down to the fall line lot. You know, you're going to be able to get in the fall line lot, you know, today. But, you know, you're riding a shuttle potentially up to the village area. Not that we run out of parking, but I can tell you it's pretty inconvenient the way it is today. So having everything consolidated in one big lot down below, it's going to be just a tremendous experience. The road in and out of there is at a pretty uh, level elevation. Right now to get into the fall line lot, there's a hairpin turn going in there. And on a, a snowy Saturday, we're, we're pretty challenged to get cars in and out of there. Are you hoping that the new lot will open for 2024 to 25 season? Yeah, that's affirmative. It's been, honestly, it's uh, this is our second year working on that lot and the road in there. Yeah, but our plan is to have vehicles in there in the fall of 24. So you said three to five years for that new lodge. Any idea when you'll break ground on that structure? And what can you tell us about that structure? Well, we've worked with the SE group on our master plan. And, you know, they've done some analytics on uh, some of our needs long term. I mean, when they do their analytics they're looking at how many restaurant seats do you need how many toilets all of that so right now we think that the new lodge will be about sixty thousand square feet wow. you know our current day lodge is about forty thousand square feet wow. so it'll be a huge upgrade for us 
I think right now the original plan was one building, but I think we're mm -hmm. going to split that into two buildings just mm -hmm. because of the size of the footprint that'll take up in that base area. So the first building would be about a 20,000 square foot facility, be closer to the lift that we've just installed. And then that facility be our vision there is, is rental ski school. We'll have some public bathrooms in there and mm -hmm. uh, seasonal lockers. That'll be phase one. And then uh, we'll break ground on the other building, 40,000 square feet, you know, cafeteria in there, bar, just to have all the amenities in that one facility. And does that end up becoming your main base lodge and do you tear down the current base lodge or do you like the idea of having two into the future? No, I think that having two lodges is great just to think about how many restaurant seats we need to accommodate crowds on a big day. Eventually, that new base area, like I said, will be the the arrival and the portal for most of our day skiers. And yep. then the upper village here will be more of our destination skiers staying and lodging. All right, Tom, you mentioned that master plan that SE Group helped you on, and that was published in 2018 to the public. And these things, they change over time. The original master plan, at least the way that I'm looking at it right now, it had kept musical chairs intact on that line. And it had a bunch of other new lifts coming out of that day lodge, one coming up to the saddle near Rowdy Grouse above Stella, and then some shorter lifts, carpet lifts and such around. Talk to us about the evolution of how you got from that initial 2018 plan and why you ultimately decided that it made sense to take out musical chairs and add a different way for folks up out of the lot to the main base and to get up to Great Escape and the other plots. Yeah, when we contemplated the original plan, we would have separated all the user groups. So in the, in down at Schweitzer Creek Village, the new base area, we would have had lifts that accommodate ski school. There would have been a couple of carpets in there, a small, yeah. probably a fixed grip triple that service some great beginner terrain. Mm -hmm. The challenge is, is that long lift that came out of there went up to the chair five saddle. If you're a kind of a green type skier, it'd be pretty challenging for you to get up to the saddle and then ski to the village. Mm. It made more sense for us to put this lift in the way we did right now so that we could accommodate low angle skiers coming mm -hmm. out of the new base areas to get them directly to the village. You have a, a bunch of high-speed quads at Schweitzer, and you also have a six. Did you consider doing a six-pack for Creekside just because of the number of people you have coming out of that lot? And, and ultimately, why did a four make sense for that new lift? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, six-pack is kind of overkill. I think for us, our needs, that, that quad will certainly accommodate what we need. You know, in the future, we put that longer lift in going up to the Chair 5 saddle. We might contemplate a six-pack there, just depending mm -hmm. on how our, you know, our growth continues. All right, we'll get back to the master plan in a little bit here. Right now, I want to talk about the other big piece of news for out of Schweitzer this year, which I mentioned in the intro, which is that Schweitzer is the newest member of the Altera Mountain Company family and portfolio. I hosted Altera CEO Jared Smith on this podcast a few months ago, and he gave me the Altera side of that story. But I would love to hear it from the Schweitzer side. Just lay it out here for us, Tom. How did the sale come together for Altera to purchase Schweitzer? Well, there's been a long-standing relationship with some of the resources in Altera. Rusty Gregory, the former CEO of Altera, he sat on the Schweitzer Advisory Board for 15 years. So he's very familiar with our operating plans, our team that's here, the ownership group. You know, I'm not sure you're aware, but, you know, uh, Rusty played football at the University of Washington. Yep. He went to school with Mary Kay McCaw. Mary Kay is our, our former owner. 
you know, so they've got a longstanding relationship. And then having Rusty on the board, it was an easy transition. You know, I've talked to the, since I've been here, talked to the trust on an annual basis, like, hey, what's our long-term strategy? And they've always been like, oh, no, we're committed for the long haul. And I think last fall, uh, Mary Kay and Rusty had a conversation. And uh, Rusty says, well, Mary Kay, what's your, what's your exit strategy? Kind of scratched your head like, well, I guess we haven't really thought that much about it. <laughs> you know, Mary Kay is not getting any younger. Our board of directors, they're not getting any younger. And I just think that the timing was perfect for her to exit from the, you know, from the operation. Uh, I think Altera is a great fit for us. You know, we've been an Altera partner for the last couple of years. So we had a chance to understand how they operate. Got to know their marketing and sales team, some of their executives, and then obviously, you know, the influence that Rusty Gregory had on the transaction seemed like a no-brainer. I mean, it's been a great partnership for us. Yeah, Schweitzer was part of the Icon Pass for a couple of seasons, and and as you mentioned, in that time, you've gotten to know and work with Altera. What was it specifically about the way that they operated, Tom, that made the folks at Schweitzer comfortable with moving ahead and you know, frankly, no longer making Schweitzer an independent mountain, but part of a big mountain conglomerate. I think philosophically, one thing that was a differentiator for us is they talked a lot about how, keeping the resorts, the authenticity at each of the resorts. So they had their own identity just to be able to, you know, continue with the culture we've developed here. And I think that was a critical piece for us. And they've continued, you know, we've been part of the organization now for a couple of months. We've been to a couple of big uh, corporate meetings and, uh, I think that they, you know, they walk the talk. From the point of view, I mean, you're obviously in a great position to to understand the implications here because you've run this resort, as I mentioned in the intro, since 2006. So obviously there's some advantages when you join a big group and economies of scale and being able to purchase maybe a groomer or snow guns at a better rate. But from your point of view, when it comes to operating and maintaining that identity, what does Altera bring that allows you to be able to still be Schweitzer and not just be another Altera resort? Well, I, like I said, I think that philosophically, they want to maintain the authenticity of each of the resorts yeah. that are out there. You know, we've been uh, a proven entity from an operational standpoint. And I don't think they want to disrupt what we have going here. The advantages, of, you know, not, not just the uh, being able to leverage any purchasing power, but I think about the resources that are available now for our team here at Schweitzer. You know, before I came here, I worked for the American Skiing Company. We had work groups within the organization. Mm -hmm. So if I had a problem, it's likely that somebody else in the family resorts has already solved that problem. You know, being independently owned has its advantages, but at the same time, you know, you lose access to some of the industry experts that are out there. You know, I can make those phone calls that I made when I was working for ASC. And it's like, sorry, Tom, you know, you know, you're part of the family anymore. I can't share that information. So I think that being part of Altera, that big family, they have a process they call councils, you know, and it's, uh, it could be the, the ski school group, the retail group, food and beverage groups. They all get together and they sort of brainstorm. They talk about best practices. I, I think it's huge for our organization, for our managers to be able to reach across the table and, uh, you know, have confidence that they've got support groups out there to help move the needle. In addition to that, you know, we have a, a lot of managers that have been here for a while. I mean, unless somebody leaves the organization, there is very little upward movement. So being part of the Altera family, I think there's opportunities across the nation for some of our managers to move up and excel within the organization. It also gives us an opportunity to recruit within the Altera family. I think there's some huge benefits for us to being part of the Altera family. Have you had an opportunity to do either of those things yet? Either give one of your managers an opportunity elsewhere in the portfolio or recruit from elsewhere in the portfolio? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> we've got actually, you know, we just recruited a mechanic for uh, working our shop from Steamboat. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, whenever the Altera people come here for a visit, they're just totally blown away with the environment here, the culture. It's just, it's like living the dream, you know, having everything that we have here at the resort, mm -hmm. the lakeside community of, you know, uh, Lake Pend Oreille and the small town feel and Sandpoint. It's a huge draw for us. Schweitzer has always really worn that independence on its sleeve. And it's really been, from a marketing point of view and from an identity point of view, a really important asset for the resort. And I would imagine that a lot of the folks who have cultivated the habit of skiing there over the years were attracted by that. Curious here, Tom, how your locals have been taking this. Are they happy to see, okay, the macaws are gone, but they've handed it off to a stable entity? Or is there some fear here that, oh boy, we don't know what's going to happen. Altera's coming in and this is Colorado company. What are they going to do with the place? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I've obviously I'm engaged in the community here. Just, you know, some people are so stoked to be able to part of, you know, the icon pass. And then, uh, you know, there's other people that are concerned about overcrowding. We have a tremendous amount of lift capacity. Uh, I think that's, it's just a huge asset for us. You know, people start thinking about big days, crowded days. Yeah, we get a few in the morning. You know, once the initial surge in the morning goes out, we've got a tremendous amount of capacity to be able to manage, you know, a peak day for us. That seems to be the biggest concern of the community is, you know, overcrowding at the resort. And Not near a whole lot of population. So I, I just don't think that we're going to see the the surge in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. that some of the Altera resorts have experienced. I know they had some challenges over Crystal Mountain. They're pretty mm -hmm. close to the Seattle market. Yep. You know, we're a long way from any population. So I think that the the growth, it'll be, you know, we'll get there, but it's not going to happen overnight. How much insight do you have, Tom, into Altera's long-term thinking about the potential for Schweitzer? Because I think if you go through those statistics, it's just about as big as any destination resort in America. It has terrific lift infrastructure. You're putting in your fifth high-speed lift this summer. And it certainly has all the attributes of a destination resort. It is remote, but so is Jackson, so is Big Sky, so is Sun Valley, and those are all established on the destination circuit. What do you get the sense that the goal is here? Do you think that Altera sees the potential for Schweitzer to be a true destination resort rather than a regional destination as it mostly is considered now? Do you think that they want that, and do you think that, that that's possible? I think it's possible. It's going to take a while. I think the the place that we're challenged the most right now is just the size of our bed base. It's pretty small. You know, we do uh, we can overflow into downtown Sandpoint, but at the end of the day, most folks want to stay here slope side. We just don't have the capacity right now. So as we continue to build, you know, hopefully there'll be a partnership to build that hotel that'll help with the bed base. There's definitely opportunities from a destination perspective. It's just lodging capacity. We don't have any constraints really on the hill. Once we get the new base area going, we won't have any parking constraints. We're headed down the right path. And do you think that the desire is there? Altera has done a really nice job of building out kind of what I would classify as mega resorts with that gondola connection between the Palisades and Alpine sides of Palisades Tahoe, with they're doubling the size of Deer Valley. They're putting in that big gondola and expansion. At Steamboat, you know, it, it sounds like they could do it. Do you think they want to? I think over time. I mean, the other yeah. thing you have to think about is, you know, we have limited air service in here as well. You know, flying to Spokane, not that it's a bad drive from Spokane, but it's really not direct in the Sandpoint. Uh, I don't think there's any opportunity to extend the runway in Sandpoint to bring in commercial air. So people have to sort of think that piece through as well. Yeah, you have, you're not bad off the interstate, though. You have I-90 running there. I know it's a little bit of a drive off there, but but really from a driving infrastructure point of view, it seems like it's pretty smooth right now. 
Yeah, it's one left turn. <laughs> <laughs> go east right. on 990 from the, you know, from the airport. And it's it, it, literally it's one left turn. <laughs> All right. So it's Altera's world now. The Macaw family owned Schweitzer for more than two decades, first in partnership with Harbor Resorts and then individually under another company name. As you sit and reflect here, Tom, what do you see as the Macaw's family legacy at Schweitzer and what they were able to achieve over those two plus decades? You know, I think a lot of it is just creating an exceptional experience, being able to modernize all of the lifts, you know, building the Skyhouse, you know, most recently the Humbert Hotel, the Cambium Spa. I mean, the experience has totally transformed in the last 20 years with the Macaw family in here, taking the whole operation to another level. Mm-hmm. And they're invested here as well with the new, we just put an addition on the uh, the White Pine Lodge. It's mm-hmm. called the Five Needles. And, uh, you know, Mary Kay is one of the first ones in. So mm-hmm. she'll still be here on site. So you came in 2006, so you weren't there the whole time with the Macaws, but you had a really good hand in helping them build that legacy. And as I mentioned, you did come to Schweitzer after a long time in New England. Take us back here, Tom. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up skiing? Yeah, I did. I grew up on the North Shore of Boston uh, in Lynn, Massachusetts. I was part of a skiing family. My dad was like a volunteer patroller at Mount Whittier. You know, so a lot of weekends, you know, we drive up in the morning and ski. I I had memories of, you know, sleeping in the first aid room, mm-hmm. getting up wow. early in the morning to move all of our gear so that we could ski on a Saturday. It was just, it was a <laughs> tremendous experience as a kid growing up. So Mount Whittier is really interesting. The gondola is still there in a, it leaves and crosses a McDonald's parking lot. It doesn't run, but it's still there. You know, that ski area recently went on the market, Tom, if you feel like moving back east and and taking on a big fix-up project. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty overgrown. So you grow up skiing in Mount Whittier, nice steep little hill, but went out of business many decades ago. When was your first job in skiing? Was it at Whittier or elsewhere? No, no. Actually, my first job worked as a ski instructor with the Hans Schneider Ski School in Mount Cranmore, the winter of uh, 1977-78. It was spectacular. Yeah, Cranmore is actually one of the next podcasts I have up in the queue here. So so you started at Cranmore and and take us through your progression there up until your opportunity at Atatash, which is right next door to Cranmore. (laughs) <laughs> or across town, rather. Yeah, kind of interesting. You know, that that first year at Cranmore was, you know, for me, it was an eye-opener. I, I hate to say it changed my life, but being able to work with a, you know, a bunch of people that had absolutely no skills and get them to a point where they could stop and turn, it just, it was inspirational for me. You know, the following year, I had the opportunity to go work at Black Mountain up in Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was a full-time instructor. I worked there under a guy named Don Bemis. He was a great mentor for me. I worked there for three years. They struggled. The first year I was there was a spectacular year. It snowed early. They didn't have any snowmaking. You know, we opened in mid-December, stayed till the end of March. It was like living the dream. And then the following year, it was uh, it was pretty mild. I think they operated less than 20 days. The year after that, again, it was another tough year, probably operated similar between a dozen and 20 days. So I started looking for other opportunities. You know, at that time, I spent my summers working on the auto road. I was a stage driver. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stage drivers were in the ski industry in the wintertime. And uh, kind of fortunate. I knew the ski school director at Wildcat. They were looking for a race coordinator. So it gave me an opportunity to transition up to Wildcat. So I took on the responsibility of running the race department there for a couple of years. The ski school director ended up leaving the organization I had some pretty good uh, organizational skills. They asked me to step in. 
which I did. So I was a ski school director at Wildcat. I think I was there for as the director for five years. And also at that time, I got involved with uh, PSIA. I was certified, went through the development team, the examiner's training squad. I became an examiner. So I worked with the educational staff for PSA for quite a while. And then I, I started thinking about my future, you know, at Wildcat, you know, what did the future have to bring? And it didn't seem like there was a ton of opportunity, to be right. honest. But as I started to look around, Sunny River was starting to come to the forefront, some big investments mm -hmm. there. And same thing going on at Loon Mountain over in Lincoln. So I, I made a decision to move over to Loon Mountain. So I worked there for uh, four years, worked under Mike Bannon as a ski school director. And I got to know Phil Gravenick pretty well. He was the president at that time. Phil ended up leaving Loon, went to work for the, pretty sure for the SE group. And one of his first jobs was to help develop a business plan for Adatash. You know, so through that time, the Adatash board of directors, they convinced Phil to come on board as their general manager. So when Phil went there, I was still living in North Conway commuting over to Loon, Phil said, hey, Tom, why don't you come on and work for us over here? And uh, so I made the decision to go. So that's how I ended up over at Adatash. I came in as a ski school director in and worked my way up through the organization to become the you know VP of operations. I took care of the front of the house. At the same time, though, I was pursuing a career with PSIA. Not that it was in conflict, but uh, I continued to grow with PSIA. And then uh, I tried out and I made the Eastern Development Team in uh, mm -hmm. 1994. Nice. And I was a candidate at the National Team Tryouts in 96. And I didn't make the team. And that was a big turning point in my career. And at that time, uh, the American Skiing Company had purchased Adatash. And I was still working for Phil. Yeah. So when I get back from the tryout, you know, they said, hey, Tom, do you have that out of your system? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. So they said, you know, we, we just think that you have some skills. We'd like you to come down a different path. So I got more involved with the American Skiing Company. Phil kind of mentored me, guided me through the process. And in 1999, Phil announced that he was going to retire. I went through a process with Les Otten, and I was selected as Phil's successor. So in uh, you know 1999, in that summer, I became the managing director at Adatash, and I was mm -hmm. there through 2006. And then... Um, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, I wasn't really looking for work. The American yeah. Speed Company was struggling at that time. I had some, you know, personal challenges. My wife would get diagnosed with cancer. Mm. My dad got diagnosed, pa passed away 30 days later. We had a mm. good friend killed in a car accident. Jeez. You know, so my wife and I are like, you know what? If the right opportunity came up, I think it's time for us to do something totally different. Mm -hmm. And by chance... I got a, head, a call from a headhunter out of Seattle to move somebody uh, my way. She says, hey, I got this F&B guy, grew up in New Hampshire, wants to come back if there's an opportunity. I said, you know, while I have you on the phone, if the right opportunity came up for me, you know, my mm -hmm. wife and I are anxious to maybe do something different. Right. And at that time, he had just been engaged by the ownership of uh, Schweitzer on a search for a, a new CEO. And, uh, you know, and that was in April of 2006. I never heard of Schweitzer, went through the process, and I moved my family here in August of 2006, and uh, I never really looked back. It's been spectacular. So that's quite a journey, Tom, and that's a whole career in and of itself before you even get to Idaho. I want to linger on North Conway for a minute. It sounds like you did the whole circuit, Cranmore, Black, Wildcat, Adatash, which are the four operating scariest still there, and then King Pine to the south. So... I'm curious, as you've been watching across the country, I'm sure you've been following the news on Black Mountain. Two weeks ago, announced that it would not operate for the 2023 to 24 ski season. Last week, reversed course with the news that Indy Pass would help identify a new buyer if Black Mountain could continue to operate for the 2023 to 24 ski season. So now they're going to operate again. Curious how you reacted as you saw this place that clearly you have some roots and 
and I'm assuming still is very important place to you as you watch this news cycle and this roller coaster of of they're gone and oh no they're going to save the place. Yeah, it, it pretty sad when I first heard the news that they were going to close. Obviously, there's a piece of me there at Black. Really, it kind of started my career. I can sympathize with John Fisher and his family. It's pretty mm-hmm. tough. You think about your operating cost at this point, you know, and how do you grow the business with, you know, all the competition that's going on. And there's been some big investments in Mount Cranmore. Mm-hmm. I think they've grown their business. Brenton Woods has done extremely well growing their business. And, it, you know, it's a pretty competitive environment to be in the Mount Washington Valley. You have yeah. literally seven skiers within a, underneath an hour drive. So it is, it's really tough. Uh, I felt bad for the Fisher family, but, you know, hopefully somebody can come in and do something totally different and, you know, spin things around for them. Yeah, one of the challenges he cited was that his skilled laborers, his lift mechanics and such, would get hired away for double the salary from Avail Resorts or whoever. And it's it's sort of the opposite of that advantage you were talking about earlier with Altera, where it's like, okay, if your lift mechanic quits, you can go and see if one at Palisades Tahoe or Mammoth can spare one. But Black is in the opposite place where they just don't have anything to fall back on. Yeah, yeah, it makes it difficult. So going from the east to the west. I mean, that can be a culture shock. I think it can be worse coming the other way because there's so many X factors in the east you don't have to deal with in the west. But I'm curious about your impressions here, Tom, when you got to the west after spending a whole career running ski areas in the hard-nosed east. I mean, what was that like? What was the same? What was different? Was anything kind of shocking to you? (laughs) I had to be more patient. It's definitely a different pace. Okay. Uh, you know, everybody's in a hurry on the East Coast and the frustration level gets pretty high in a short period of time. Okay. It's interesting. You know, I, I kind of feel like if somebody had an issue, uh, you know, where I came from, you know, their fingers in my chest, like, Tom, you got to fix this. This is, you know, it's it's a struggle. And I came here and, you know, under the same circumstances, somebody approached me and said, hey, Tom, you got time for a coffee? I got this issue. I want to have a conversation with him. Like, yeah, sure. No problem. It's It can be a challenge. I mean, one of the challenges we have here is like this time of the year, it's hunting season. Mm. So trying to get anything done this time of the year, it doesn't work. Everybody's out. It's elk season. It's just right. uh, that was an eye opener for me. I mean, this is a critical time of the year, the month mm-hmm. of September, early October, yeah. to try to get resources. It's not not just our employees. All your subcontractors and everybody else, everybody's <laughs> out in the woods. It's not a bad thing, but you have yeah. to really think of it in advance. So, so have you joined them and taken up a hunting hobby, or you just try to cover it as best you can? Oh no, I've. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I've been pretty fortunate. Elk season has been good to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's, it's been great. So you get to Schweitzer and, and culturally it sounds like a little different and, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it allows you to bring your blood pressure down a little bit, but tell us what Schweitzer looked like when you arrived. I mean, you've done a good job outlining kind of McCaw's family legacy and, and you stepped in obviously midway through that, but what did Schweitzer look like when you got there? What was working well and where were your opportunities to help build something better? Well, I, I say, first of all, I think we had a strong operating team. The team was in place, really understood the the business here, and we were able to work through anything. There were some aging infrastructure as far as on the lift side of things, uh, and that created limited access to low-angle terrain. Uh, you know, when I first came, we had one lift here in the South Bowl that had a mid-unload and a mid-load. I had never mm. seen anything like that. Oh, it was wow. pretty interesting. But it was an old riblet, center post, slow, long ride. You know, so if you're a, a low angle skier, once you get off of musical chairs, that was your next option was to ride that lift and unload at midway. And it was pretty intimidating. And a long, steep unloading ramp, 
it's like, wow, we have to really fix this. So, you know, in 07, we were able to replace that lift with two lifts and it totally transformed that green skier experience. But that was one of the biggest things. It's just, you know, trying to adjust that. And over the years, we've been able to upgrade. You know, we had an old riblet center post in the North Bowl as well, chair mm -hmm. six. Same thing there, had a mid unload. Uh, we'd lose a lot of capacity on those lifts. You know, they were functional, but at the end of the day, they just had limited capacity and it really provided inadequate access to low angle terrain. And as you've watched this transformation, Tom, as you've, because you've overseen the installation of several high-speed lifts since you arrived, and how have you seen the clientele at Schweitzer change and evolve and just the busyness of the ski area and, and how folks regard and think about it? Because, you know, there's there's a lot of ski areas there from 49 North and Mount Spokane and uh, Silver Mountain and, and Lookout Pass. And, and Schweitzer of those five has really done the best job modernizing. I think any of them could have gone in that direction, but how have you seen the way that people consider Schweitzer as compared to its peers in those 17 years that you've been on the ground there? Like I said, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, you know, we've had the support from ownership to be able to make some big investments, just upgrade, not just lifts, but our facilities as well. You know, we built a sky house. That was a game changer for us. You know, we had no shelter on the top of the mountain, so it supports our summer and winter business. All of the lift upgrades have sort of transformed the way people ski the resort. Uh, when we put the two lifts in the North Bowl, or actually it started when we put the two lifts in the South Bowl, people were like, Tom, what, you know, you, you're going to ruin this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, my motivation to put that second lift in on both the North and the South Bowl to service the upper Cirque has been great just to isolate different types of user groups. So, you know, with the two upper mountain lifts, they're all fixed grips, triples, you know, you can do laps in the upper circ in both the North and South Bowl. They've worked extremely well for us. And then those high-speed lifts down below have just, uh, in, you know, increased our capacity and some lower angle terrain. Really transformed. I mean, in the beginning, Pete, like, hey, Tom, you know, with all this, uh, these upgrades you've done, you've taken away my secret stash. <laughs> but in reality, we've opened up so much more terrain. You know, I think you're aware that the land here is privately owned. So yep. from a regulatory process, it's pretty easy to get things happening. Uh, we've been doing a tremendous amount of glading and logging. You know, mm -hmm. some of it is to expand terrain. But in addition to that, it's wildfire mitigation, just to thin things out. It's really transformed a lot of the terrain that we have that was inaccessible in the past. Yeah, I can imagine as you've upgraded these lifts from fixed to high speed and, and really made it more of a modern resort, that your skier visit numbers have really reflected that. I'm not sure if you're public with skier visit numbers or if there's anything you can tell us to quantify what visitation looks like now compared to when you arrived in 2006-07. Yeah, so let me try to think. We're probably about, I think we've increased visits 50% since wow. I arrived. So always onward, always upward. Schweitzer, as, as I mentioned, we laid out, you laid out that master plan in 2018 and you've been slowly executing on that. I mean, you built those two lifts right away in the back, but as you as you settle in with Altera, do you have a sense of whether they're happy with that master plan and whether they would like to continue with that? Or are they kind of taking a look at that and reassessing and saying, you know, well, I, I guess you're already breaking from a little bit with the Creekside, but, but are, are they fundamentally going with the master plan as it is or are they reassessing it? No, I think they're pretty content with the master plan. Actually, I think they're excited that we've actually gone as far as we have with the master plan that's out there right now. I think we'll continue down the path that we're on. You know, our opportunities really are to uh, make sure that we have enough capacity for, like I mentioned earlier, you know, restaurant seats, bathrooms, parking stalls, the whole bit. And, you know, because we've already broken ground and we're in our second year of the development down at the Creekside Village, 
They're very supportive. So two different things. With the Macaw family, obviously they were supportive, but conservative. You know, we go in and we say, hey, we, you know, we want to replace a lift. It's like, Tom, really, do we need another lift? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, eventually it happened when we built the Sky House, the hotel, all the lifts and everything else. It's just, you know, pulling them along, but they've been supportive. Mm-hmm. I think with Altera, it's going to be just the opposite. I mean, they're more of a ski operating company. I think they really understand the impact of all the infrastructure improvements that we've had. I think in reality, it'll accelerate the process. You know, this whole uh, Creekside Village down below, like I said, the Macaw family is very supportive. I think what, you know, we got the new lift going in right now, the bridge, we got access out of there. Next year, we'll have a parking lot. And I think at that point, we probably would pause just to kind of give it time, make sure that we're doing the right thing before we build a lodge down there. And I think with Altera coming in, they're going to actually accelerate the process. Oh, wow. When the master plan was released in 2018, you had a quote in a press release that you thought it could take, quote, seven to 15 years as long as business levels continue to grow as predicted, end quote. Now, obviously, those two years before COVID and that sort of reshuffled everything. We're five years in now. Just curious, taking your temperature, Tom, where do you think you're at? Do you think that 15 years is still accurate? That would be 10 years from now to be complete with this thing? I think we're in the in the next three to five years to really complete this wow. project. Like I said, I think it'll get accelerated with, with uh, Altera in here. You know, so we can continue to, to grow the business and uh, we get some support maybe from the development team on the hotel construction. Yeah, I think it'll accelerate the process. So let's look at, I, I mean, I feel like with skiers, we're always looking ahead and always asking what's next, but I do want to pause here and reflect on what you've been able to achieve, because this was pretty remarkable, actually, in hindsight. In 2018, the Schweitzer Master Plan dropped with a bunch of new lifts outlined, and two of those, which you mentioned, went in place in 2019. So the Snow Ghost Double on the backside came out. You replaced that with the Cedar Park High Speed Quad and the Colburn Triple. I mean, that is a enormous increase in capacity going from a fixed double to a high-speed quad and a fixed triple. Just take us in here on a granular level, Tom. How much did those two lifts in particular change the experience of skiing on that side of Schweitzer? It wasn't just the lifts going in. It was our ability to cut terrain out there as well. You know, mm-hmm. that lower quad. It's taken a while for people to really understand the terrain off of that, but it's opened up a tremendous amount of open glade skiing off of that lower lift. And it's actually, it's pulled a bunch of the demand off of Stella, our high-speed mm-hmm. six-pack. You know, up until this new quad went in, the six-pack was our choke point. You know, it's got a lot of groom blue and black terrain off of Stella. So when we put in this new lift, it took a couple of years, but now that people have uh, discovered that, it's really, like I said, it transformed that whole part of the resort. With the old lift that was in there, uh, Snow Ghost, it did have a mid-unload up in that particular area. But uh, with the capacity we had on that lift, stops and starts, the unload, having this new high-speed lift in there is really, like I said, transforming that particular part of the hill. And then, you know, the Colburn Triple, being able to do laps in the upper cirque and the North Bowl, again, same thing. That's been spectacular. You know, the ride time of that upper lift is eight minutes. When you rode the old lift to the top, it was 14 minutes. You know, so that's really increased uh, access to the North Bowl. So I imagine there's a lot of configurations that you considered back here. And what you ended up with was Cedar Park Express not quite going up to the Cirque there. And then the, the Coburn Triple on a little bit shorter line going all the way up. And, and I think skiers are always curious when you put in two lifts at once and you make one a fixed grip and one a high speed lift. Just take us into the into your thinking here, Tom, and what you can tell us about as you worked with the team at SE. Why did it ultimately make sense to go with two lifts back there? And why is one fixed and one a high speed? Well, the, the weather environment that we have here isn't really conducive to a high speed lift on the top of the resort. 
So we have one high-speed lift that goes to the top of Schweitzer. It's the great escape quad. Mm -hmm. You know, with the weather conditions we get, we got a lot of rime ice up on top. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's pretty disruptive to the lift itself. At the top terminal, there's a device that's called a traction plate. It's on the top of the lift, and that's how the chair goes through the terminal up on top. When those traction plates get iced up, it slips in the terminal. There's a safety device in there. It's an anti-collision device that shuts the lift down. You know, so from a consumer standpoint, you know, we could have a great day, epic weather, got snow the day before. And yet we can't run that lift because of icing conditions. It's not a mechanical issue. It's more of a weather related issue. So when we put in uh, those two upper lifts, um, I felt the best lift up there was a fixed grip triple. You know, we put one in on the south bowl and replaced the old chair one. That lift has been bomb proof. It runs through any weather conditions, not susceptible to wind as much. Icing conditions are not a factor. So we decided to put that other lift in the North Bowl, it pretty much made sense to me to put in a fixed grip triple rather than a high-speed lift. Just eliminates those weather issues. Mm-hmm. And how happy are you with those upgrades four years in? Pretty stoked. You know, they've been <laughs> spectacular for us. Again, trying to isolate different user groups in particular parts of the resort. So if you're riding either the Lakeview triple or you're riding the Colburn triple, you're pretty much a high-angle skier. You know, you're just doing laps in the upper cirque. And if you're riding at a lower elevation, high-speed quads or the sell a six-pack, you know, you're probably more of a blue, black groomer. You know, mm-hmm. we'd be able to isolate those different user groups and it just makes the most sense. So the Outback Bowl, the master plan also calls for another lift in Outback Bowl that would run from Cedar Park, load at Cedar Park, and run up to the T-bar unload. Curious about your current thinking around that lift, Tom, and if you still intend to put that one in on that line. That one would be out there quite a ways. You know, right now we want to focus our attention on the, uh, you know, Schweitzer Creek Village to get those lifts in there right now. So I think it's a ways out before we do anything uh, to put that lift in to get to the top of uh, Little Blue. Would we be looking at another fixed grip given that that one would be going to the top or would you cut that short of the T-bar so people who wanted to go all the way to the top could take the T-bar? I'd probably end up putting a fixed grip up there as well. Uh, probably the same thing, either a fixed grip double or a triple. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where our most challenging terrain is up off of, uh, you know, Little Blue. So again, you think about the demand that's up there, the volume of skiers that would be skiing up in that particular area on a big day. We don't need a tremendous amount of lift capacity to get up there. You know, riding the T-bar up there, it's a long lap. If you ski all the way down to the outback, you have to yep. ride two, maybe three lifts to get back up on top and then ride the T-bar at the top of Little Blue. But, you know, with the demand we have on that particular terrain, I think we have enough lift capacity today. So the the master plan just showed one lift going all the way up. So you're saying it would probably instead be something similar to the setup next door with Cedar Park and Colburn, where you might have a high speed going up part of the way and then a, and then ski over to a fix to get to the top? No, I think we'd still stick with one lift in there, fixed grip triple. So yep. we might change the loading area for that mm-hmm. to shorten that lift up. I don't know if we need to have the capacity from down near Cedar Park. Again, if we can isolate those skiers and keep them up there and that end of the North Bowl, I think that makes the most sense. Do you think it would load maybe around Hall Pass or 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 maybe more down toward where Have Fun and Get Back go together? Just thinking about where the black ends and where the blue runs start? Yeah, I think that's the appropriate vicinity to load that lift. Absolutely. All right. Then moving back to the front side, we, we discussed this earlier and, and it sounds like you still intend to to build that lift out of the new lot up to that saddle by the Rowdy Grouse. And the new uh, trail map that you published this year at Schweitzer does show a future expansion area for the first time on the trail map showing this off of that new parking lot. 
So as I said, the master plan showed a couple surface lifts, a, a shorter beginner lift and a long lift going up to the saddle out of that new lot. What's your current thinking there, Tom? Something similar or, or do you have different ideas now that you have uh, Creekside running down to replace musical chairs? No, I think we stick with that original plan. It makes the most sense for us. You know, if we could put in that big lift going up to the chair five saddle, it would actually, the lift would terminate somewhere between the unloading of Stella mm-hmm. and the Rowdy Grouse. I'd like to get it closer to the unloading of Stella. It wouldn't interfere with any of the traffic that's up there, but if we can get that lift of alignment so that people would have the ability to go ski the trail pods off of Stella from that mm-hmm. lift, or they could go vagabond and ski down and hop on the uh, the Colburn Triple to get up into the North Bowl, it makes the most sense. Gosh, that would be that would really improve that circulation if folks could just go right from the lot right back to Stella. Yep. And the master plan shows a mid unload station. Is that still your thinking? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the mid-unload station was to accommodate lower-angle skiers to get them on the cat track back to the village. But now mm-hmm. that we put in the extended musical chairs lift down into that area, I think it's unlikely that we would put in that, uh, that mid-unload. We'd probably just go right up to the chair five saddle. That's nice. Save you a few bucks. So in that, in that area on the new trail map where it shows future expansion, it, it looks from the master plan like that's mostly blue and green terrain. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, there's some low-angle terrain in there which is, you know, an area that we don't, we never really have enough low angle terrain. So that lower lift in there, you know, primarily, you know, ski school off that, it'd be like maybe a fixed grip triple mm-hmm. down in that lower area, just to pretty much service, you know, beginners or ski school operations. Gosh, that would be really nice. And then the last piece of the master plan, as far as new lifts go, calls for what they call on the master plan, new lift six. And I'll include this map in the article that accompanies this on stormskiing.com, but a new lift six to replace the sunny side lift. What are you thinking over there, Tom? Sunny side, I mean, it's, again, it's <laughs> it's a challenging lift. It's a center post riblet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, right now, it's really a redundant lift. We run on our peak days, holidays, a few weekends here and there. I want to try to get everything done at Schweitzer Creek Village before we address that lift. And when we yeah. do address that lift, we'll probably realign it and uh, have the loading terminal closer to the village area. Are you thinking high speed there or a short fixed grip? I think we do a fixed grip in there. I don't think we need that much capacity. All right. Well, lots of care going into modernizing the current terrain footprint. Curious thinking long-term, Schweitzer owns around 7,000 acres total. You know, that could be a lot of different things. It could be ski terrain. It could be stuff that's more suitable for condos. Is there long-term expansion potential for Schweitzer? And if so, where would that be in relation to the current trail map? Well, with the Schweitz Creek Village, you know, we mm-hmm. build out the trails that are in there. It's going to add another 150 acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's likely that we'll have that on board next year. If you look at the top of the T-bar and you move towards Big Blue, literally, mm-hmm. we could move a rope tomorrow and probably add three to 500 acres just by moving a rope. Wow. You know, the challenge there is it's more avalanche mitigation work, grooming-wise. We just don't need that much capacity at this point in time, but... Okay. That's certainly an opportunity for us is to move a little bit further north. Out of that 7,000 acres, is a good portion of it suitable for potential expansion? What, what sort of terrain is that? It's all high angle terrain. If we were to go north, 
So I mean, I mean, the demand for that type of terrain, I think we can satisfy it with everything we have in bounds today. We have an open boundary right now. We have six gates. People can go out. So that terrain I'm talking about, if we move the rope, that's all accessible today, but we're not grooming. We're not maintaining anything out there. You know, we just want to make sure that the people out there are aware of the conditions. Uh, there is some avalanche terrain out there that we don't manage because it's outside of our existing boundary. But today, if you, you know, you understand snow conditions, you can ski all the way down to Stellar and load that lift out. Is there an opportunity for maybe a snowcat operation or something? There is a snowcat operation today oh, cool. that services the West Bowl run by Selkirk Powder Company. They're skiing on about 4,000 acres. A portion of that land is our land. There's another portion down there that's the Idaho Department of Lands. Yeah, so that's already a business entity that, you know, it's a partnership with us and Selkirk Powder Company. Schweitzer is quite a bit more evolved with snowmaking than a lot of your peer resorts. Pacific Northwest is one of those places where you can still get away with not having it. Curious what your snowmaking system looks like now, Tom, and what your vision is for evolving that long term. It's a, it's an area concern for sure. You know, our snowmaking system is extremely limited. Uh, we built upon probably around 2008, I think. We got four and a half million gallons worth of water storage up there. It's a gravity feed system. It's efficient. It's probably the most efficient system in the country. But right now, it only services about 30 acres. So it's a pretty small portion. You know, our motivation when I came here, we didn't have any snowmaking, but... Mm -hmm. You know, the weather dictated when we'd open and close. And within the yeah. first couple of years, you know, we might open on December 10th. We could be on Thanksgiving weekend. Mm -hmm. So our plan was to build that pond and get snowmaking on at least one route that we could operate pretty consistently around Thanksgiving. So that's, you know, where we are today. So we can get one route on uh, Midway. And then we've got uh, the beginner trail. We are extending our snowmaking to the new base area at the bottom of chair two, just so we can accommodate snowmaking down at the new loading area. But all that new terrain coming off of that lift going up to the chair five saddle, that's all south facing. So we know that we're going to need snowmaking on at least one route there. And then just looking at, you know, weather conditions, you know, since I've been here, I think the snow line consistently used to be around 3000 feet. Mm -hmm. Seems like it's creeped its way up a little bit. It's more around 4,000 feet. That actually played into, you know, when we put in the Coburn Triple, you know, we decided to move that loading area up above where Old Chair 6 loaded. And a lot of that had to do with the, the typical snow line. You know, mm -hmm. so since we put that chair on, we've had a couple of early seasons where we've been able to, to ski into the North Bowl loading Mm -hmm. at the Cope and Triple, but we weren't able to go all the way down to Stella and load that six-pack. So it helped us mitigate some of that early season snow shortage mm -hmm. so we could still run a little bit of skiing in the North Bowl and ride that lift out. So as you contemplate your snowmaking future, <clears throat> what do your water rights look like, Tom? I mean, do you have access to more water? It's just a matter of securing it, or are you looking at a scarcity there? No, we have, we've secured all the water rights that we need here. Right now, most of our water is from drilled wells. You know, right now we're looking at, at that new base here to potentially build another storage facility down there for water. You know, so if we could build another four and a half, five million gallon pond down there just to stockpile some water and that'll take care of what we need short term to get something off of the, uh, you know, the new terrain coming out of the new base area. All right, Tom, another growing pain at Schweitzer, just as the resort has gotten more built out and more popular is just where do you put all of your employees? And, and I think Schweitzer has been really progressive on this front and built some really, really cool, unique employee housing options. Tell us about some of these projects that you've built over the past few years, Tom, and how those fit into your overall employee housing strategy and, and why that's important to you. 
Yeah, I think, you know, since COVID, a lot of the second homes up here became primary residents for a lot of folks. So it really took a lot of stuff out of the rental pool, uh, both mm -hmm. from an operation standpoint and our employees. So we looked around and, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a, a senior living facility that uh, went out of business. So we actually, we bought the facility. We, we mm -hmm. converted that into employee housing. It's not a lot, you know, but we got we can accommodate, I think, uh, about 20 employees in there. But it was our first uh, adventure with, you know, trying to manage employee housing. Uh, it's worked out well. It's kind of dorm style. Two folks to a bedroom. They've got their own bath in there, shared kitchen, living area. And it's it's worked out extremely well for us. So we know that there's a shortage. So again, we're able to get the, you know, the the, the Macaw family to support an initiative. So we bought a piece of property down in Ponderay. Mm -hmm. And um, we're literally, we're just moving folks in now. It's an 84 unit complex, one, mm -hmm. two and three bedroom units. You know, we wanted to make it affordable. So we have a, um, we can do a stipend back to the employees to help mitigate some of their costs that are down there. We literally moved our first employees in there this weekend. I think we mm -hmm. had nine families move in. Right now we have 39 families committed to moving into the facility. The first building is complete. We got our certificate of occupancy and that's 24 units. The second building, we should have our certificate of occupancy down there, I think in the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then the third building will come online probably in uh, late November, early December. So it's been uh, it's been a great transition for us. It's great for the community as well. You know, if we're moving some people into our what we call our affordable housing option, it'll free up some other rental property for other employers in town. Now, to underscore the investment here, the price tag I saw on this Pondere complex is $22 million, Tom. Is that coming from the resort? Is this a partnership with the local community? I mean, where is the funds for this coming from? So that's a huge investment. It's coming from the McCaw family, from the trust. And when you look at employee housing, are you looking at your year-round employees? Is this stuff that's available to seasonal employees? How do you consider that whole equation? It's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, we want to make sure that facility is uh, it's full, you know, 12 months mm -hmm. a year. So, you know, we can provide a subsidy to our our vision is, is that we'll have, you know, you look at our middle managers. Someone's got a family, you know, they can move into a one, two or three bedroom unit. We can help subsidize their rent to keep them there. So our vision is that when they're working for us, we can subsidize their rent. So mm -hmm. if we had a seasonal employee that worked for us in the, uh, in the wintertime and they decided to go work for someone else in the summer, we'd have a work for them. It's not like we would displace them and say, you got to move out. Our vision is we'd go to market rent in the off season, hoping that whoever their summer employer is would subsidize their rent in the summer. And then we can share that employee. You know, we've reached out. There's a golf facility here in town, the Idaho Club. They certainly have an interest to try to land some of their employees in our employee housing in the summertime. You know, if we can share employees back and forth, we actually have a deal that we just created. We have a restaurant here that we operate just in the wintertime. So we got a, a restaurant operator on the lake that only operates in the summertime mm -hmm. to take over this restaurant for us. They'll be all our employees. So that's just another opportunity for us to bring more employees in, provide them with housing year round. They work for us in the wintertime. They go to another employer in the summertime. If he can subsidize their rent, it's a no-brainer. Altera has been making big investments in employee housing as well. So I would expect that investment to continue. Let's finish up here today, Tom, with a little chat on the Icon Pass and, and some of the implications of Altera purchasing this resort. Now, obviously, Schweitzer has been an Icon Pass partner for a long time, but Altera moved Schweitzer Mountain onto the unlimited tier of the Icon Pass for the 2023 to 24 ski season. That was previously seven days. Base pass holders get the same deal they always have, which is five days with holiday blackouts. 
Take us into your decision-making process, if you can, here, Tom, and how you decided in tandem with Altera that this was the appropriate levels of Icon Pass access for the 2023 to 24 ski season. You know, we looked at historical data and use patterns from the full product. You know, over the last couple of years, even though the full Icon had seven days here at Schweitzer, it was pretty rare for anybody to actually consume seven days. So for us to go to unlimited access, I don't think it's going to have a significant impact, mm-hmm. but... The one thing it'll do, we're hoping that we can convert some of our existing Schweitzer pass holders to mm. jump on the icon, the full icon, mm. because if they have unlimited use, even if they just, you know, skied here for 85% of the time, they're going to ski and go travel the other 15%. I think it's a win-win for everybody in the community. Was there excitement with your pass holders, your longtime pass holders around Altera buying Schweitzer because of this? Because now, I mean, not only are there a lot of great resorts like Sun Valley and Idaho that are on Icon, but you also have all those British Columbia resorts, which are really not that far of a drive if you want to get up to Red Mountain or a little stretch to Revelstoke or Sun Peaks. Were folks pretty jazzed about the opportunity to have those available days at those resorts on their season pass at Schweitzer that they were buying anyway? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think it was a mixed bag. Some people Mm. were stoked about it, other people, it didn't really have an impact on them. You know, the first year that we became an Icon partner, I know for a fact we had people that said, oh, I'm going to buy the Icon Pass, Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't travel. (laughs) Never took advantage of it. We had a particular product that bundled together an unlimited Schweitzer product with a base pass. You know, it was a a, a modest upgrade. I think it was $150, $200, somewhere in there. So people upgraded and like I said, they just realized at the end of the season, boy, I just never had the opportunity to go. Why would I want to go anywhere else? I really enjoy being here at Schweitzer. So I think, you know, going unlimited on the uh, the full Icon Pass, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on us. So Schweitzer now has the same Icon Pass access tiers as Steamboat, which is also unlimited on the full pass, but has the five days with blackouts on the base pass. Others of Altera's owned resorts, Palisades Tahoe, Mammoth, Solitude, they offer unlimited on Icon and then unlimited with holiday blackouts on Icon base. Did you consider that tier? Do you think that's a possibility for Schweitzer in the future? Yeah, I think it's to be determined. We'll kind of see how this year shakes out, see if we're seeing any you know, significant impact or increase. But I think right now we'll just see how it impacts us. I think it's too early to tell. You know, We'll do some analytics when we get into the season. When we get through the holiday season, we'll have a better understanding of you know, what the demand is out there. But for right now, I think we're pretty content with the way it's laid out. So Schweitzer is another way that it's unique among big mountain resorts in the West. It's kind of bucked this trend of $200 plus day lift tickets. And most of the ski areas in your region, well, all of them really have done the same. And I'm talking about that collection that includes 49 degrees north, Mount Spokane, Silver Mountain, Lookout Pass. All of them had lift tickets peak days for $75 or cheaper last winter. Schweitzer was a bit more, $110, $100 for, as you call them refills, but that's still quite a bit less than the big resorts in Colorado or Utah. Are you getting a sense yet from Altera of whether they are committed to that local dynamic of maybe more affordable day ticket prices, or if they're going to nudge them higher? Do you have a sense yet of what's going to happen with day ticket prices? Uh, I think it's too early to tell. You know, we have a revenue management team here. We always look at products, make sure we're at the right price point. We're very sensitive about pricing within our local market. Uh, Like I said, we're not near a lot of population. So our, you know, our dry market is within a three-hour radius. Uh, You know, Spokane, Tri-Cities, 
Coeur d'Alene in this particular area. We just want to make sure we're very sensitive about our, our price point. You know, right now we're a price leader within our region. Mm -hmm. But if you think about what we offer out there, you know, high-speed lifts, snowmaking, all the amenities that we offer, we think we're still a value proposition. But in a local market, we're definitely the price leader. So we have to be a little bit sensitive to that going forward. So last year, you had that daily rate, and it was the same every day, as far as I can tell. Do you think that you'll move toward dynamic pricing? Altera really seems to favor that model. Yeah, I think we will. Absolutely. Do you think you will for this season, or is that not determined yet? We're taking a hard look at it for this season. But right now, we're just, we'll are just we have a daily rate. Uh, we haven't published that yet. We're still working on uh, our pricing strategy. Nodding toward that local market, Tom, the musical chairs carpet, or the musical carpet, excuse me, has been free for some time. Do you anticipate continuing that? Absolutely. Yeah, no question. You know, the other thing that we do for the local community, we have a program called Sell the Night. I, I call it twilight skiing. We ski on uh, Friday, Saturdays, and holidays from uh, three to seven. Okay. You know, we sell tickets to nonprofits in the community for $10. Uh, they'll resell those in the community. They keep the difference. But that's certainly an opportunity for, you know, the people in the, and it's not limited to Sandpoint. Anybody can come in and get that deal. Just to support these nonprofits, it's a $20 ticket. They keep 10. We get 10 to cover our operating cost. And then we have some afternoon tickets that are pretty affordable. We do that Sunday through Thursday. I think it's a $50 ticket from noon to closing. So we're trying to create some particular products that are targeted more towards our local market. And as far as you can tell, you anticipate continuing those programs under Altera ownership? Absolutely. All right. Last thing I want to ask you about is a lot of ski areas, particularly in the West, have developed pretty good reciprocal lift ticket programs with some sister resorts. And Schweitzer's isn't as large as some ski areas like Bogus Basin down in Idaho has has quite a few dozens. Yours are not that many, but it's really high quality mountains. Your current partners are Whitewater, Mount Hood Meadows, Castle Mountain, Loveland, and then half off tickets at Whitefish, which which Whitefish has pretty affordable lift tickets. Will those relationships stay intact? this season, Tom? And do you think that they'll go away after this season? The first question is, yes, they will stay intact for this season. And uh, we'll just have to take a look at it going forward. You know, maybe at some point we can invite some of these other resorts to be a partner resort for Icon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Icon folks would love to get some uh, get some white water or white fish onto their, onto their Icon Pass. All right, Tom. Hey, I appreciate all the insight. I wish you the best of luck with the 2023 to 24 ski season in your first full year under Altera ownership. Really amazing to watch all the stuff happening out at Schweitzer. So I wish you the best of luck and continued luck as you continue to build this thing out. Great. Hey, thanks for having me, Stuart. And uh, hopefully you can get out here and make some turns. Absolutely. Count on it. That's Tom Chassie, president and CEO of Schweitzer Mountain, Idaho. Thank you very much for that, Tom. I always appreciate a good Idaho ski conversation. Folks up there are the best and their mountains are empty. Go enjoy them. Thank you all very much for listening. I was hanging out at the Snowvana show in Portland, Oregon this past weekend. And the Pacific Northwest stoke is strong. I know skiers in the region are always hungry for more podcasts. And I spent the weekend hammering down some contacts that will hopefully get a whole bunch more pods booked across the region in 2024. In the meantime, I do already have conversations with the leaders of Mount Bachelor and Mission Ridge on the schedule for 2024. And there are a ton of episodes with ski leaders from Oregon, Washington, and Idaho in the podcast archives at stormskiing.com. So go check those out. And to get new episodes the moment they're live, 
Remember to sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. New pods appear in your email box several hours before syncing with the podcast services, including Apple and Spotify. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter and paid subscribers receive podcasts seven full days before everyone else. You can also follow the storm on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Storm Ski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.